Welcome to this interesting episode. You you may have noticed something's a little different with the way it was displayed on your podcast feed or something like that. Like, what's that red E doing there, Chris? I don't know. I just have a feeling that this is going to be a pretty spicy episode. What, 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 what could that ever mean? Hmm. Not E for everyone. No, that seems to be clear. That's for sure. Hmm. Well, you know, you know who else is pretty like explicit and pretty like, you know, foul language filled? Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought we were talking about Christian Bale on the set of movies. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's uh, something I. Yeah, I'd hate to be that crew person on the terminator to encounter that (laughs) yeah but quentin tarantino was going to be my second guess yeah yeah i I would say so um but actually listeners something that i didn't know until like a little bit into chris and i's friendship we both our friendship we actually met in french class oh yeah yeah in in french class yes my my mistake um parry vous francais chaussure that's the only thing i remember (laughs) mon chari (laughs) But we both love Tarantino movies. And that's right. I feel like, you know, we could talk it off like just the two of us kind of thing. But you know how going off topic is. We got to have a guest. We don't have enough talent for the two of us. No, 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 no. We've already tried that twice and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I I don't know. We, we We do better with a third. We do. We do. And is this the third time this guest has been on this podcast? I'm so glad you picked up on that. That is exactly what that was, and that is exactly what I was referring to. We have returning guest and good friend, Drake Burstra. Bonjourno. Yeah, (laughs) see? Third time's a charm, baby. I see you've been keeping up with your Duolingo. (laughs) (laughs) The pronunciation is getting great. It's great. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, that's a bingo. Um, (laughs) I couldn't help it. Yeah, in case uh, you listeners didn't know, this is going to be like the least going off topic we've been in a while. It's going to be all Tarantino stuff. So if staying you... on topic. We're first staying on topic. That's right. Going back to that. Yeah, it's been a um, while. So it's been a while. It's been a while. So if you haven't seen a Tarantino movie and you're interested, continue to listen. We love for you to listen. If you don't like Tarantino, you can get a big old skip to this. Or just leave it on in the background and don't listen to it. We don't care either. <laughs> um, but yeah, just one disclaimer. This is just going to be what this is. And we're just going to geek out about it. So just want to make that clear and give you a heads up, a warning, whatever. Just it's all there. So in case you haven't noticed with the red E in the title of the description. <laughs> um, so yeah, so just wanted to give you guys a heads up. Um, but oh, oh, duh. Sorry, I forgot. I'm Brandon. Oh, and I'm Chris. And we are going off topic. Uh, Okay, cue cue the music. Okay, there we go. All right. Oh, man. I love what you did with that. Just give me more work, huh? Night before Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, I like I like to keep you on your toes here. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. This is 
This is airing during Thanksgiving. My mistake. My apologies. This is my easy way of guaranteeing that Brandon has to do some kind of different thing with a sound effect. Fantastic. I love it. (laughs) Speaking of sound, um, in case you listeners haven't checked it out yet, I... I edited and sound edited a preview for the episode of uh, this episode. And I yes. actually took inspiration from the beginning of Kill Bill. And I think Death Proof was the other movie that also started off with that. And I think it was Pulp Fiction as well. Maybe. Yeah, I could see Pulp Fiction. Well, the title is very Pulp Fiction inspired. Like I, I, that's one I yes. definitely did. But like the preview of the coming attractions i did that as like a um just kind of like a tribute to like late 60s early 70s grindhouse kind of like you know um drive-in theater preview because like you know we have the green band and the red band nowadays but the, this one was just like preview of the coming attractions with just like a huge like lcd ridden like <laughs> effect it's it's very jefferson airplane in fact i really love that opener and i really Love that Quentin Tarantino made it retro and cool again. Oh, the I thing know. is, is now I only associate with him. Yeah. So if anybody else tried to do it, I'd be like, way to go. You're copying Quentin Tarantino. Which it I wouldn't was. feel like. <laughs> which, which he was. Yeah, I mean, exactly. So it's like, it's one of those weird things where depending on where you, when you were born and where you associate that. Yeah, uh, it, exactly. It, it just feels like if I saw that, I'd feel it would feel very much like a student college film trying to be edgy. Yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> well, thank goodness I, you, or Drake and I like didn't do any of that. So that makes me feel a little yeah. bit more comfortable. <laughs> yeah, but, our edgy days are mostly over. Y- you know what the thing is, though? Unironically, I love that song. I think it's really jam. I do, too. It slaps. I love it as well. It's a great, it's a great bop. And it's literally just called Funky Fanfare. It, it's, it's great. <laughs> so, okay. I, I would introduce this like he does with his films, but I, I feel like it'd be redundant to say chapter one or chapter two kind of thing. So I think we just kind of roll it on as it is. Um, but let's talk about uh, how we got introduced to Tarantino films. Like, what was your guys' experience with it? Like, what was the first one you saw? Or who'd you see it with? I was chained up in a basement in Montana. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging out with a gimp. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the last time I go to a pawn shop. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I was, of course, back in, uh, I think it was middle school, late middle school, early high school. So peak edgelord oh, yeah. time when you are forming your own identity. Just a bad And you're sort of rebelling <laughs> and you're sort of. You know, trying to, you know, step outside the bounds and be non-PC. Yep. And I just remember, it's not a very glamorous thing for me. I remember I was watching like TV, like TNT or something. So I was getting the censored version. I wasn't even getting the, like the real deal. Yeah. And it was Kill Bill. It was Kill Bill Volume 1. Okay. And I got so wrapped up in it. And then the second episode aired. And, or yeah, volume two was right after. So I ended up watching both of them in one sitting uh, oh, with wow. commercials and all and with the censoring. And I absolutely loved them. So I wanted to, you know, see the unedited versions immediately. Yeah. And I was so 
impressed with Uma Thurman's performance in both of them, as well as David Carradine. I think that's how you yeah. pronounce his last yeah, name. Carradine, yeah. He, uh, yeah, who played Bill. And so um, that's that's what started it all for me. And then since then, uh, I saw every other movie he's done, and I made an effort to go to every single new release in theaters. So you actually one saw of the only yes Death Proof when that came out with like the whole grindhouse double feature thing. Interestingly, no death proof is actually the only one I haven't seen. Really? Or death race. Wait, de- wait, it's I? death proof. Yeah. Gosh, I can't believe there's wow, a death. Race had, like, that's a weird... uh, that's funny because uh death proof is also the only Quentin Tarantino movie I haven't seen. Yeah. Wow. Am I the only one who's seen it? Yeah. Wow. I think I've seen everyone but death proof. That is, I, I think the thing with death proof is, it's uh, it's generally considered one of his lesser works. Um, yeah. And it also doesn't help that it's like part of a two film feature. So I never know if I'm supposed to just watch Death Proof or if I have to watch Planet Terror with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I um, loved Planet I, Terror. I know this isn't it, about I, I, I associate Planet Terror with Quentin Tarantino as well. I was I was trying to stream Death Proof before this episode so I could officially say that I've seen all of them. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's not streaming anywhere. Well, yeah, here's it, here's it, the thing. I, I think it was on YouTube TV, but it would be the censored version. Was, no, thank you. Here's yeah, here's exactly. the thing. So I can solve both of your guys' problems right now. Um, I'm probably... not going to Pirate Bay. No, you don't have to go to Pirate <laughs> Bay. No, it's someone actually uploaded it on YouTube. And that's how I saw it, actually. It's still up the last time I saw it. I'm sorry, say that again? Someone uploaded the whole movie on YouTube. Really? Really. Yep. Wow, and YouTube, that's like just that's just okay? Like that that just I for now, I guess, right? For now, yeah. I by the time this recording happens, they may have taken it down, but as yeah. of a couple weeks ago. They got the hot it, tip from going it was off up. topic. Popular Midwestern podcast I, gone international. I'm the reason that the movie got ta- got taken down. <laughs> but yeah, so the whole movie is on there now, and I saw it for the first time two weeks ago, actually, because that was the one that I got to see this movie. Like I haven't seen it because I was too young to see it in theaters, so it just wasn't happening. So basically, I saw it. And I'll give my thoughts about it later, but uh, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. It's actually hmm. pretty good for the most part, but I do have some gripes though. <laughs> um, okay. But yeah, so like, did you, was it just you, Chris, that was exposed to Kill Bill or like, was Kyle there? Like, you know, was there like, you know, other friends that you saw it with kind of thing or was it just you? So for those who don't know, Kyle is one of my brothers. Um, oh, and yeah. Kyle. <laughs> Yeah, Kyle sort of got into it around the same time I did as well. I don't know if it was to the same extent I did, um, but I really doubled down on my enjoyment of these movies um, with my high school friend group. Mm. Um, they were bigger Quentin Tarantino fans than, than I was. And, you know, you sort of get in, into a group of friends at that age and everybody's talking about this. So you're like, yeah, well, I like to kill Bill. And it's like, oh, well, kill Bill's the minor leagues. You got to, you got to see this. You got to see this. And yeah, so it sort of went down the rabbit hole, but then, you know, uh, in gosh, I think it was Oh nine was when Inglorious Bastards yep. hit. And yep. I saw that in theaters and, uh, 
yeah, that, you know, obviously was fantastic too. Oh, yeah. And that was right when I was a senior in high school. So classic, classic, <laughs> yep. Classic of 09. Yep. Got that right. What about you, Drake? What was your first exposure to Tarantino? Uh, Pulp Fiction actually. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, it was sometime early in high school, probably sophomore year. And I only watched it because it was on Netflix's uh, instant play. Yeah. So back in the day when Netflix oh, yeah. was male <laughs> yeah. and then they're like their instant play on demand thing was like kind of like new and they played all the indie movies there. None of the big movies. Pulp Fiction was probably the biggest movie on the entire service at the time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, it, it, it was a perfect movie for me. I loved it. Uh, immediately after I watched Inglorious Bastards uh, and Reservoir Dogs. But I only saw the first half of Reservoir Dogs because uh, I, I just didn't like it for some reason at the time. Yeah. But <laughs> I love it now. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then the first one that I saw in theaters was Django Unchained, oh, which yeah. I saw on New Year's Eve. I think I saw it on a New Year's Eve as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You see yeah. it at uh, uh, Rivertown Mall? Uh, no, this was back in Texas. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that I think would be I, cool if we were in the exact same theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a very serendipitous kind of thing. I have wondered about that sometimes. Of like, if people you know in your life, if you just pass them in like a McDonald's at some point. That's but that's that's yeah. going off topic. We're staying on. Yeah, topic, we're staying on so. topic. Here. Hey, back, back back to the subject. Here. <laughs> um, and like, I, I I feel like our everyone's first like introduction to Tarantino is always different. Like, cause compared to what you guys said, like Pulp Fiction and um, Kill Bill, like I feel like that was just totally, you know, something different, you know, for everybody. But funny enough, my introduction to Tarantino was a little different. So I was 13 years old and my. Oh, cut- starting young. I know, right? <laughs> Um, Although my, that was, I guess I I said my was around middle school, high school, so yeah, yeah. puts me so, at the same age, around yeah. the same time, yeah. Um, yeah. So my cousin's cousin, uh, he was my friend. His name is Jared. Gigantic Tarantino fan. Like he had Pulp Fiction on Laserdisc. Like this guy, like had everything. Like he had the um, El Elmore Leonard like novels that like you know based off like Jackie Brown and stuff, and like he like had all those like. This dude was just like Tarantino fanboy, like to the max. And I remember Sin City was out at that time. And, you know, because like we got also to, feels very Quinn Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember because like we bonded a lot because of the fact that we were huge film nerds. And then he introduced like, have you ever seen a Tarantino movie? And I'm like, who's that? And he's like, the guy who did Pulp Fiction. I'm like, I haven't seen Pulp Fiction. It's like, what? No way. And he's like, you know what? I should give you something that is not like I should give you like right at the beginning of it. So he gave me he he suggested that I watch Reservoir Dogs first. So I remember I went to my local Walmart and I was able to get a copy of Reservoir Dogs and for like my birthday or something. And I remember I was like, okay, let's see what the hype is about this. Like he was just like amping him up and I'm like, I think I'll like it, you know, whatever. Watched the entire movie, completely obsessed at the time. I'm like, this is just, wow, perfect. Like, the fact that, like, this was so unique to most films I watched. And, like, it wasn't just the violence. 
it wasn't just like the cast. <laughs> what intrigued me was the writing, the dialogue. Sure. It was just like all over the place. And I'm like, normal circumstances, like I like things being chronological, but this is like all over the place. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I like it and it works. Like, how did this happen? And it was my first exposure to the actor Harvey Keitel, which I I love him as an actor. And like, I'm like, this film is like the essence of like cool and edgy. This was perfect for teenage Brandon. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. Um, so like I, I watched um, Reservoir Dogs and I think I saw Pulp Fiction on TV like a little later on, but like it wasn't too far off of Reservoir Dogs. But in fact, I was going to go see Inglorious Bastards in theaters, but I was moving to over to the west side of the state at the time. So I didn't get a chance to see it then. I got from Blockbuster like the moment it came out on Blu-ray or whatever. So, you know, I, I basically seen it like around the same time, but not really. Um, and then I was in Walt Disney World when Django Unchained released. Didn't have time to see it then. So I had to wait until it went on Netflix. So the first Tarantino movie I saw in theaters was with Chris seeing The Hateful Eight. And... Mm-hmm. My oh my, I will give my thoughts about that movie later on, but I was, I thought it was all right when it came out. I'm like, all right, that was, that was good. I I liked it, but uh, now I like it even more. (laughs) I feel like I'm like (laughs) the only person who genuinely likes that movie a lot, but we'll get into that later. (laughs) But yeah, I I saw that. um, It was right after we graduated too, wasn't it, Chris? Like graduated from college. College, Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was it was rocking. I it was just a good time in the theaters. Like it was shocked. Like when you when you see a Tarantino movie in theaters compared to at home, completely different experience. Like you feel the laughs from the audience, the the shock, the thrills. You feel it all in the theater. Like that's a movie you need to see in, in theaters. And I just think like man, like you can't. It's like an event. Like. When, you, when a movie like that is released, you need to see it like as soon as possible. <laughs> but, you know, when we've seen these movies, when they first came out, you know, we obviously had like a we had an opinion about them and stuff. But has like movies that you loved when you first got exposed to them, has that changed much or are they or is it like relatively the same? Like, for instance, um, like with me, the Reservoir Dogs, when it when I first saw it, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was one of my favorites. Now it's kind of on the lower end of like the Tarantino films, in my opinion. But, you know, that, I mean, that's just me, though. Like, has it changed for you guys at all? Well, I'm the opposite with you on Reservoir Dogs. Uh, <laughs> as I said earlier, I didn't really like it at first. But uh, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Uh, so. Oh, I, I'm not saying it's bad at all. I still think it's a oh, very no, no. enjoyable I know, movie. I know but... that. I, I know that. But what I'm saying is when I first watched it, I thought it was bad. <laughs> Trash. <laughs> but uh, but I love it now. Yeah. What about you, Chris? You know, I think I think most of my opinions have stayed the same about the movies um, from when I first saw them to now. Um, I still really love Kill Bill a lot. And, That's a um, good movie. <laughs> Yep, and same with Inglorious and, mm. you know, Django. Yep. Um, Hateful Eight, I think, as well as Don't Once wait. Upon a Time in Hollywood, are two that I'm kind of back and forth on. Mm-hmm. 
where sometimes I really like Hateful Eight, and then sometimes I think they really lose me in the second half. Fair like enough. It just starts to, I, it just sort of feels like they kind of go off the rails a little bit. And, and, and part of that might be because it was, I was putting my own expectations into what I thought it should be instead of right. what it ended up being. Right. Where I wanted more of a Quentin Tarantino does a whodunit and not a deus ex machina where the whodunit <laughs> is under the floorboards right. <laughs> and you don't see them the entire movie. Uh, so um, I, I, I go back and forth with that one. And then once upon a time in Hollywood, it's sort of the same deal where, yeah, where I, 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 where I enjoyed once upon a time in Hollywood, but I didn't, I didn't love it. It was, it was just sort of in this sort of limbo for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to agree with you there, Chris. Uh, I, I have to say that once upon a time in Hollywood is probably my least favorite of Tarantino's movies. Really? Uh, I think it's a little overlong, a little overindulgent. Uh, you could cut about an hour from yeah. the editing room and nothing really changes. And uh, to me, it, it, the movie's kind of relatively plotless. Yes, uh, I would agree. It, it kind of meandering around this like, um, oh, this is this is an alternate history with the Charles yeah. Manson story. But then that that subplot doesn't occur until the very last 10 minutes yeah in which our yeah. heroes defeat the bad guys who uh are completely incompetent and we don't meet until the very end yeah um yeah so for me i'm not crazy about the movie however there are scenes that i go back to uh as most tarantino yeah. movies <laughs> and I'll, I'll like watch them on youtube and if it's gonna show up on cable one day uh I, i'm probably gonna watch parts of it um, cause it's, it's still Tarantino. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. just to yeah. me, you know, more of his sloppy work. Fair enough. Yeah. The one thing I think of, and we can talk about this later too, is that like, um, once upon a time in Hollywood feels more like a love letter to Quentin Tarantino himself and his like childhood. <laughs> Dear Quentin like, Tarantino, it's me, Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> here to tell you how much I love you, Quentin Tarantino. That's Sincerely, not what I meant. Quentin Tarantino. That's not what I meant, but it does sound like it. Um, yeah. And like he makes a movie to like, I feel like he makes a movie for himself rather than like for anyone else. And I feel like that's what makes him different a lot of times. And with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I feel like it's another example of this, kind of like with Inglorious Bastards, where like history changed a little bit. And from what I've heard, because like I've listened to a couple of podcasts where he where he's on, and he said before the reason why he had like Sharon Tate survive and the crazy Manson murder like murderers get killed is that it's really to say. I choose not to glorify you. I choose not to like indulge in you at all. And you're in my movie. I'm going to give you how it should have gone. And I'm not going to give you the platform that you had. And I'm going to totally wreck everything about you. And cause like those people went to jail, they were alive still obviously. And and same thing with like Hitler, for instance, in Inglorious Bastards. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we yeah. know he turned into ground beef later, and <laughs> and um, it's like you don't want him to like you want to have him just get destroyed because he's an awful human being, and you want you want that like this is how it should have gone, 
this is how it should have been done kind of thing. And like, I feel like that's the reason why like it was so long. Like the film was plotless overall, but I'll have this to say to later, but I've been reading his novel of the film, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I kind of like that better than the movie actually, which is very interesting. Um, but, but yeah, so like, I, I can definitely see what you're saying, Drake, by like it, like having not, not a plot to me, it's more of like an experience that like a, like a something to like, all right, let's see what let's, there's like a chill out film really like kind of like experiencing all these lights and sounds together and like going back in time to see like, Hey, look, it's Taco Bell when it came out or like, Hey, here's yeah. what the Cinerama theater looked like back in the sixties kind of thing. So it's more just like a, a trip than anything else. Yeah. I mean, with that all being said, it's not to say that there wasn't fantastic performances from Brad Pitt and Leonardo oh my DiCaprio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I thought Brad they were Pitt. both fantastic. And, and like Drake was saying, they have great scenes, great moments, mm-hmm. um, but they just sort of feel like that. They just sort of feel like, Oh, this is a nice scene moment with its own little arc. And right. the overarching story feels like it meanders. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah I can see that. That's um, sort of where I'm at with once upon a time. Yeah. I, I also, I, I, I talked to you about this uh, a, a while ago, Chris, but I feel like my thoughts of Pulp Fiction have changed quite drastically. And oh, man. Yeah, you're right. That actually, that was the one I was going to say. Thank you for reminding me. That Pulp Fiction actually is the one that has changed. When I was in high school, I was obsessed with it, and now I don't care for it that much. Yeah, like, it's still a yeah. good movie. Hot take, I know. But <laughs> it's, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like it's impact isn't like like it made a huge impact when it came to you know film itself like we will not Mm -hmm. deny that like pulp fiction's the most important film he's ever made but i feel like he's done better work since then yes and like i feel it's nostalgic like (laughs) like i like i like the movie but i don't i i think he's just done better work honestly (laughs) Draco looks like he's ready to say something. I know. <laughs> uh, I just have to disagree. I mean, Pulp Fiction is just full of iconic moments. Uh, there are several scenes in that movie where you could say, oh, this is one of the greatest scenes in film history. Uh, and I don't think you get that with most other Tarantino movies. Mm. Uh, while I agree, I, I don't think Pulp Fiction is the best one. For me, that's Inglorious Bastards, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, Pulp Fiction still is, it's for me, to me, it's an iconic masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't change a thing about the movie. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't change it either. I just feel like a lot of like the characters that have been in the movie, like the actors themselves, I feel like they've had better roles in other movies. Um, I mean, I, I guess the only one I would say is probably Samuel Jackson. That was hard to disagree on that too. Hard, <laughs> hard disagree on that too because John Travolta. What's a better John Travolta performance? There is none. Grease. Uh, no, I meant Samuel <laughs> Jackson. No, 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 no. I meant no, in Tarantino Grease. movies, like not every movie they've done. I'm talking about Face Off. <laughs> Old dogs. Wild hogs, <laughs> urban cowboy. <laughs> yep. 
Let's keep let's keep it going. Battleship Earth. Let let's let's hear more. <laughs> Michael. <laughs> fuck is Michael? He's an angel on that one. <laughs> that was oh, after okay. Pulp Fiction too. It's like, yeah. Oh boy. Yep. Tarantino was like, man, you know I should bring back John Travolta, and we're looking back like, mm-hmm. you think it really should have? <laughs> you think that was a good idea? <laughs> but if it was just for that role in Pulp Fiction, then job well done but oh boy he's not a great actor <laughs> There's- but i also think that uh jules samuel l jackson's character in pulp fiction i think it's the, best, be the part. best pulp fiction i mean oh yeah. yeah 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 i think it's the best quentin tarantino character yeah i agree in my opinion that yeah, i agree that, i love I mean, jules i mean everyone knows it but the ezekiel monologue that whole scene where they entered that guy's apartment probably one of the best scenes in a tarantino movie mm-hmm. for sure like i just love the start it's like yeah you you could see also, the power dynamic of how he talks he's like yeah. as soon as he mm-hmm. walks in the door how you kids doing already talking down to them like he's already like putting himself above the others i'm like in control like, the entire time sipping from the drink from their drink not even like, his drink their drink and he's mm-hmm. like he knows how it tastes he knows how that burger tastes but he's still gonna ask because he wants to control. He's like, is that a great big kahuna burger? Can I try that? Just immediately grab <laughs> Like, It's such a masterclass scene. But I, I was so obsessed with that scene and his performance that I actually committed to memory the Ezekiel 2517 quote that he does just, yeah. before, slice, just before he, 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 he kills Brad. Um, so (laughs) I, I, it's, it's probably the edgiest thing I've done other than playing with Beyblades back in the day. (laughs) You know, what's funny about that? That, That's, that's funny because that's not even a real Bible. I know. I was just going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) It's from a Kung Fu movie in the seventies that Quentin Tarantino loved. It's like, wait, what? (laughs) Like it's, it's sort of similar, but, but it's not at all the, it's just like, Oh, he's just quoting a mystery. <laughs> the thing is, is I practiced it so many times that I still to this day have it committed to memory. Well, I'm not doing it on here. <laughs> this is I wasn't leading into, oh, this is my moment to do it. <laughs> my shining moment. <laughs> Speaking of like monologues and stuff, I, I feel like for some of the people may like can't be like what like they're saying all these things about these movies like what makes it into a tarantino movie like what what are the what are the essential elements and his best elements i would say in his movies like what what would you guys think is like must-haves to make a tarantino movie it has to be directed by quentin tarantino step one check (laughs) uh you gotta you gotta have blood you gotta have language. Yep. You gotta have unnecessary use of the N word, and you gotta have feet. Lots of feet. Lots of feet. Wow, <laughs> you're right about that. There is a lot of feet. Yeah. Uh, the opening of Death Proof is feet. Uh, uh, the Kill Bill with the, the toe. Um, <laughs> you notice <laughs> yeah. in Pulp Fiction, Uma Thurman walks around barefoot. Margot uh, Robbie wow. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Hateful yeah. Eight. You had a close up of. Uh, Daisy Domergue's feet when she's being hanged. 
Yeah, and Glorious Bastards, one of the characters, breaks her feet for the sole purpose that you could see her toes in that one scene. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> with um, uh, with Christoph Waltz, remember, he's choking... Uh, yeah. Uh, what's her name? Uh, she's from... I, Diane Kruger. Thank you, Diane Kruger. And, like, there's, like, a close-up of, like, her feet. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it feels like the only one that isn't is Reservoir Dogs, I think. Because there's no woman in that movie. <laughs> There's like one, and it's like a bystander. Mm-hmm. Oof. Oof. <laughs> um. Well, the other thing is, I think his the definition of what makes a Quentin Tarantino movie has sort of changed with time, mm-hmm. um, because he really got away from the non-linear storytelling. Um, yeah, with his more recent films, he's gone more traditional linear storytelling. And the chapter things have sort of gone away. Mm-hmm. And I, that's that's too bad, because I, I really thought that was what made yeah. his movies interesting I'm, in their own way. I'm trying to think, because I know Hateful Eight definitely had chapters, but I don't... Yeah, I don't think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood did have any. No. No. Wow. I, I never realized that. That's so funny. Um... I also think using um, like music that is totally unrelated, inappropriate or off for what the action is. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I think one of the stuck in the middle while they're torturing the guy in Reservoir Dogs. Yep. Uh, There's also that that one comes to mind immediately. There's also that Apple Blossom song by White Elephant and I'm sorry, White Stripes and Hateful Eight. Like just at a random like horseback scene, it's like wait what? <laughs> like mm-hmm. why is this in here? And yep. um, I think Jackie Brown has a few uh, bits of music that was like totally like a lot of it is like '60s and '70s music because obviously that's a lot Quinn of funk. Was a kid. So a lot of funk, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which makes it makes things so much better. Mm-hmm. And I also think using actors that you would not expect to be used in a tarantino movie like um let's say uh now i'm blanking on it john travolta yeah john travolta <laughs> pulp fiction yep thank you um or David... uh, mike myers as freaking yeah in, in inglorious bastards for some reason yeah <laughs> and also or uh, uh jonah hill's cameo oh and Jango 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 Jango. yeah yeah Man, oh my god about that <laughs> That 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 scene where they just got like it's like I can't fit this mood on <laughs> like that was just hilarious. Um I also there was um oh Bruce Dern is probably one of my favorite actors he's used in the movies here. Like I just think like classic gritty like 70s actor and just like small moment even like in Django Unchained, like that was like such a highlight for me because as a kid I I um I used to watch John Wayne movies with my dad, and there was a movie called The Cowboys, and that was my first movie I ever saw Bruce Dern in, and that was the most infamous one because he was the first person to kill John Wayne on screen in a movie, and like mm-hmm. the it was so funny because because yeah. Bruce Dern got interviewed by um I, I forget who it was, but he was saying like yeah I still get people in the bar telling me like you killed my man, and it's like. Get over it. 
get grow up like who cares it's just a movie like, <laughs> i feel like that mm-hmm. gritty bruce dern kind of like gnarl and it's like ah oh, you are such a treasure <laughs> yep but just like having him in uh django and chain hateful eight and surprisingly in once upon a time in hollywood i'm just like oh please i hope he's in the last one like i really do <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I believe his uh, role in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was actually supposed to be Burt Reynolds. Really? But Burt Reynolds passed away. Oh, yeah. Because, mm. like, Burt Reynolds have been great in that. But th- there's another example. Using an actor you would never expect to be in a movie like that. Like Channing Tatum. Channing, thank you, Channing Tatum. And also David Carradine as Bill in Kill Bill. Like, just literally Gosh, the, he was so great the actor well. from kung fu tv show in the 70s happens to be one of the most magnetic characters in kill bill and it's like how do you do it how is this done <laughs> uh speaking about once a time in hollywood uh luke perry yeah he yeah. was uh yeah he was poised to make a bit of a comeback role with that unfortunately yeah. he passed away too like it was like yes. right after mm-hmm. like right before the movie came out or like right after it came out or something like that and i remember i'm like i was so hard i'm like oh that is so sad like but i'm glad he gave his last performance in a tarantino movie though like that was just awesome um there was, I didn't even say to an extent Samuel L. Jackson for Pulp Fiction because really the only movie I that I know that he was in before Pulp Fiction was Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. He was like a radio DJ. And mm. other than that, he was uh, he was in Jurassic Park, but it was a small role. Right. Oh, was, yeah. Yes, and right. Hold he, on to your butts. Uh, and his, his first film role actually was in Coming to America. Wow. Really? I, he was, uh, you know, the the scene in McDowell's where uh, they got a guy who comes in and tries to rob the place. Oh my and Eddie gosh! He attacks him with a broom or a mop <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, that's Samuel L. Jackson in his first role. And oh get this, his first movie role was at the age of forty. No. Wow. And I think he now has the record for most appearances in Hollywood movies. It's incredible, and not only that, now he's the Capital One guy. you know i I also find it funny that like he was also in grand theft auto san andreas and um yeah he was great officer tenpenny yeah officer tenpenny and the cop that's with officer tenpenny was uh sean penn's brother who was in reservoir dogs um chris penn oh yeah like he was the other officer i'm like whoa wait this is a callback (laughs) um but i think for the most part, I think the most, I, I think the one element I think I love most about any Tarantino movie is the most relatable out of all of them. The mundane dialogue you you hear in the movie. Like, for example, um, in Pulp Fiction, talking about a quarter pound of a cheese. Like, stuff like that. Or like, just talking about, like, a I Love Lucy episode on TV. Or, like, just talking about, like, stuff that you would talk to a coworker, Or, like, you talk to your spouse or your friend with. Like, stuff that, like, oh, normally would get cut on the cutting room floor, you know, at a film editing studio. But, like, in Tarantino movies, that stuff stays right in. Because that's what makes them more human, in my opinion. And I love it. Or, like, when um, uh, Bill was talking to... Sorry, the bride. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, uh, when he was talking to the bride about uh, 
Clark Kent and Superman, once again, the most mundane thing, but still means something. And I think that's like mm-hmm. one of the coolest things that like he does in his movies, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And also uh, trunk POV shots. But honestly, that kind of is dull. <laughs> Um, but have you guys ever heard of like the connectivity with the movies? Yes. Uh, so like how red Manzana or red apple cigarettes are in every single one of his movies. Mm hmm. Yep. Apparently some of his movies are connected and normally you would not think that at all, but apparently he has a title for these move for these universes. He has two at the same time so from and i and i this was from online so like you know it could have been him it couldn't have been him but like there's lots of evidence of like the connectivity with some of the stuff but there's the first one which is called realer than real universe which is reservoir dogs true (laughs) romance (laughs) pulp fiction inglorious bastards django unchained the hateful eight and once upon a time in hollywood there are just sly references like, you know, um, Vincent Vega and uh, Mr. Blonde are like brothers. So like, you know, that's connected. And like um, there was someone in um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like a, like a descendant of someone in Inglourious Bastards kind of thing. Hateful Eight, you have Pete Hedcox, which was also um, Archie Hedcox and Glorious Bastards, like a lot of connectivity there. And then for the other movies, you have the creative title, Movie Movie Universe. <laughs> so ah, okay. the, w- the way that Quentin says it is that this move, this universe are the movies that the people from the real than real universe go see in theaters. So you have the, the gang from Reservoir Dogs. They go see these movies. And this is as follows. You have Natural Born Killers from Dust Till Dawn. Kill Bill Volume One and Two, and then Death Proof. So mm. I don't know. I just I just find that interesting that like you know it's not outright like they're all sequels kind of thing, but like I just find it kind of cool that like it's established like hey some of these movies are you uni- like movies within movies, and some of them are mm-hmm. just their own thing. And I, I don't know. I just always find that like fascinating because you know how Marvel does where like literally everything is like canon and connected, connected. yeah, but. I feel like this is more of like a subtle way of doing it. And to me, it feels more effective, like feels more real. <laughs> I just wish he had a different name. Uh, <laughs> another one that I uh, remembered today, actually, because yesterday I saw Django and Chain nice. again. And then today I watched the Kill Bill movies. Mm. And I noticed that the doctor or Christoph Watts character in Django and Chain is his name is Dr. Schultz. Yeah. And the grave that uh, uh, the bride is buried in in Kill Bill Volume 2 is Paula Schultz's uh, grave. Oh. So it could, mm-hmm. Paula Schultz could be Dr. Schultz's wife, Interesting. who was deceased in uh, Jangle and Chain. See, what, what it could be is that the people, like in the realer than real universe, the people who made the Kill Bill movies. They went to a real graveyard that's with in the real than real. This is so stupid. <laughs> is this easy to follow, listeners? 
<laughs> it's a web of just like everything's connected. Uh-huh. But like they, they shot at a real graveyard and that tombstone could be there. So that's crazy. Wow. I didn't even yeah. pick up on that. That's awesome, Drake. Yeah, um, that is a good catch. But I don't know. I just find it fascinating that like these characters see like these movies and and it doesn't even have to be made by Quentin Tarantino. It just has to be like written or something. Like, for instance, Natural Born Killers, that was like Oliver Stone. And From Dust Till Dawn, Robert Rodriguez. Like, but they were just like yeah. written by them. But Quentin Tarantino was straight up in From Dusk Till Dawn. That's another movie that I'm, I I consider like a Quentin Tarantino movie in a way because. Yeah. Well, one, he's in it. But two, it just has the same kind of vibes. Yeah. And also True Romance. That wasn't made by Tarantino either. He yeah. just sold the script to make more money for uh, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, I think, or uh, Reservoir Dogs. Like one of the two. Um, but it's just, I don't know. It's just, yeah. it's, I, I think that was, like I think that was his, uh, first movie script, right? I think so. Yeah. It, yeah. It, yeah. It sounds right. Yeah. I, I, I imagine you can't make a movie off your first script. No, <laughs> no, no, you're, no, you're lucky to get your first script picked up at all. But, uh, right. Um, Tell that to the trolls franchise. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I, are are, are you talking about Troll One and Two or the animated Trolls where they sing? <laughs> Which one? Chris? The second one. <laughs> but I realize that uh, both uh, are suspect. Yes, I would say so. Um, so when you like identify a Tarantino movie, you know, obviously we're very familiar with the series. How would you introduce Tarantino movies to someone? Like, where would you start? What films would you like group together kind of thing? Because I have a bit of a dilemma. So my wife has never seen a Quentin Tarantino movie. She wants to watch one. And I told her there's lots of language. There's lots of violence. But it's good. So I'm just using her as an example. So like, let's say, let's, I guess, use my wife as an example. So like, where would you start? Like, how, how, where would you begin? Because I feel like some Tarantino movies are more Tarantino than others. Like a more mainstream, more, you know, easier for like general audiences to, you know, creep into kind of thing. Right. I'm not just saying this because it was my first, but Pulp Fiction is the quintessential Tarantino movie. If you're going to show her one movie to represent all Tarantino movies, it should be Pulp Fiction. Definitely. Hmm. Now that pace. being said, that being said, I think it would be more fun to start with Inglorious Bastards because if she yeah. doesn't know about Tarantino and then she watches the end not knowing what's gonna happen, it's gonna blow her mind. Yeah. <laughs> that is true, yeah. I didn't think about that. I have to agree with Drake on that. I, I was I, on I, both I, counts where Inglorious would be a great place to start because it's such a phenomenal movie, but Yeah. Pulp Fiction really does set the tone of what the potential of a Tarantino movie can be. Like he sort of checks the Pulp Fiction does sort of check all the boxes of what you can expect in future films. Uh, sometimes I mean, they don't. Truly, yeah, yeah. Because like if you think about it, like with Pulp Fiction, it's also in a like it's in a in a, in a glass bottle. Like it's a it's definitely like the epitome. It's like the like epitome of the '90s, really. And like, it's mm-hmm. a film where, I, I mean, at least in the year 2021, like it feels kind of retro, like, like, oh, this is just like a, a story back then, but like, there's something new and something fresh about it. And like, I feel like, and we can get into it. 
However, with Inglorious Bastards, like that movie, I feel like anybody can get into that. And yep. it's very easygoing. And I actually know quite a few people that was their first Tarantino movie was Inglorious Bastards because that movie was a hit. Like I, I, I love that movie. <laughs> um, as much as I really want to have Pulp Fiction and um, Inglorious Bastards be one, I feel like because this is such a great character, I would love to have Kill Bill be like the first exposure too, but that's also very Tarantino. But like, sorry, I did it again. My bad. The Bride. Um, yeah, I feel like, I know, I, I'm, I'm so bad at this. Um, I feel like she is one of the best female protagonists in any movie ever. And I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of filmmakers today need to watch kill bill to see how a female protagonist is done right in a movie and we need more characters like the bride and i I don't know i just i think it's just a great like spaghetti western slash like samurai kung fu movie i i just it's so great like Mm -hmm. and i don't know i feel like that would be good too but also it's very very tarantino (laughs) Well, yeah, that, so that also helps. Um, honestly, it should probably be something like Pulp Fiction, then Kill Bill, then you get into the more mainstream ones. Because yeah. Inglorious and Django dial, they dialed, he dials down the wildness. Yeah. Um, where where I say Kill Bill has quite a bit of wildness, and Pulp mm-hmm. Fiction has some very <laughs> wild <laughs> moments. Yeah. Um, but that one, not, not as, as much as Kill Bill. Uh, and then Marv. With the, the newer ones, yeah, with the newer ones, it becomes ma- way more, I think, mainstream, way more, yeah. um, you know, it goes back to, it becomes more linear and it becomes more, I don't know, yeah. mainstream, like, I guess, it, ties a bow on it. Because, like, I feel like if you show someone Tarantino movies, unless they are already have knowledge of it going into it, Showing them chronologically, I don't think is a good idea because no, it's. I mean, yes, you see his progression, but like you have to know like who he is, what his films are, and like what this like type of like um, like auteur filmmaking. Sorry, I had to use my film school lingo. Where but. else are we going to use the word auteur? <laughs> <laughs> this was our moment. This like, is what we've been waiting for it, since sophomore year of college. <laughs> oh man but like i don't know like i just don't think chronologically it's a good thing to do and i i would group I them with like eras for instance so like i would group like from reservoir dogs to um jackie brown as like the early years i would group kill bill to um i, I don't know I, I would say death proof maybe as like the like like fine tuning like middle era and then um inglorious bastards to once upon a time in hollywood is like the like i in my opinion i i've been loving those movies more as i've as the years have gone on i think they're more of like the better years in my opinion but you know i would say it's just like that's another separate era too because i feel like there's like distinctive points in his filmography. Like it's very much distinctive towards the other mm-hmm. movies. Like, I don't know, like it's tough. It, it really is. Like I'm, I'm really trying to think like, 
would you just show them all at once kind of thing or whatever but you know it's just i, I mean honestly all of them are fantastic <laughs> I, w- I would actually put inglorious bastards over with kill bill and death proof in the middle years mm-hmm. and then say later years maybe start with Django and chain yeah that that's um, not better yeah for me um and a big thing that uh I don't know. What what I notice in his later movies is that the editing isn't as crisp and there seems to be a lot of scenes that could be left on the chopping floor. And I think it's actually because uh, his go-to editor was yeah. Sally Mankey, yep. who unfortunately yeah. passed away in 2010. Mm-hmm. And Django Unchained is when you could start to see uh, problems in the pacing in his movies. Yeah, and I yeah. think Sally... Uh, helped a lot with the pacing in his previous movies, and um, I'm now glad you brought Tar- her up. Yeah, yeah. She is- and, and now Tarantino edits his own movies, and I mean, yeah, like we said, they have great scenes, but I feel like Tarantino can't differentiate his great scenes from, you know, the fat that should be trimmed. Right. Sometimes you need someone like Sally to bring the best out of you mm-hmm. and i think that's exactly what she did yeah and it's so sad that she passed away too because she yeah. did some amazing work when it came to like um I, I, yeah all all those films that she was involved with like remember how i said earlier like what makes a tarantino movie she was a, another element of that and it's so sad to like not have that anymore and apparently he still says like hey sally before any take like as soon as the take begins, as they do filming, he still mentions her name every take. So I, I don't know. I just think that's kind of sweet that like he still does that. Another crew person I would say is another great element as of lately is his recent cinematographer, um, Robert Richardson. Now he's done stuff from like um, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And in my opinion, those are the best shot films out of his entire ser- like series of films. And like, you know, using extremely wide lens, like to this day, it still pains my heart that I didn't see Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter film in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to, I was trying to find time and I just didn't. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, now like anyone can see it on Netflix. They have the extended version of it. Um, it's not the same. It's it's not the same though. Like it, though, that, lens was like a once in a lifetime use and and like the last movie that like that was made for was like in the mid to late 60s and like they used that camera again it's like oh i would love to see that like in another movie and stuff but like i feel robert richardson is another great element to a tarantino movie since then because of the fact that like i don't know it, it feels like old hollywood like the way he because like if it isn't obvious enough, Tarantino is just like the giant biggest film buff in the world. Like this dude will tell you every public domain silent movie and what's great and not like I literally listened to a four hour podcast at work the other day where he was literally talking to uh, some people about like, hey, here's some great 40s and 50s movies that are public domain that are like some of the greatest ever. It's like, wait, I don't even know these existed. It's like, yeah, yeah. watch them on YouTube. Go for it. It's like, wow. OK. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know he he knows and loves film and i feel like when he hired robert richardson like 
I feel like he had that flair from back then and he's giving more acknowledgement to that era. So I don't know. I just feel like that was just like another cool element that I forgot to bring up earlier. But like, you know, just because we were talking about Sally Macon, like I'm like, I got to mention Robert Richardson like because that guy was that guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's a great point. Mm-hmm. Speaking of like, you know, with Tarantino's films, I know, great segue. <laughs> um <laughs> Tarantino said himself plenty of times that he is only making 10 movies because he knows if he makes any more, they're not going to be as great, which I have a few opinions about that, but um, he's making one last theatrical movie. Now, if he's making a miniseries or writing books or whatever other mediums like plays and stuff, I don't know. He can still be making stories in other avenues, but he's only making one last film i would love a tarantino uh tv show like on hbo yeah oh my gosh like a mini series like i feel like in a way he he's already kind of doing that with some of his movies like hateful eight for instance like it it was like a um the extended edition on netflix it separates it as like a mini series like like picture Mm -hmm. and it has four episodes and i think like re-watching that like not too long ago I actually prefer watching it like that it, to that movie. Like, is there much added to it? I mean, not really. I mean, there's some like interesting things that were like cut off in the theatrical version, but like, I like how that's presented as like four episodes and it, yep. I think it's great. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, but like, I, I feel like he can do other things. And like, I feel like Tarantino's not going anywhere. Like, He's still going to be making stuff. It's just more or less the last theatrical movie he's making. Now, I've always pondered this stuff. Like, he's always tackled like so many genres. And that's like, he reminds me of like Stanley Kubrick in a way where like he tap every movie of his is different. It's never like, because like with Steven Spielberg, like it's either action adventure or drama. With uh, Wes Anderson, it's like quirky comedy. Like, you would always expect like a certain genre with it. With Quentin Tarantino, you expect a certain style, but it's always a different genre. And I was kind of wondering what you guys would like wish or like what your guesses would be of like his final movie, like without any pretext whatsoever. And it's 2020. Rom-com. (laughs) Rom-com. No, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) How great would that be though? Uh, Yeah, I haven't seen it. It was just a straight rom-com. No violence, mm-hmm. no Tarantino stuff. It just happened hmm. to be directed by Tarantino. I'd see it. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've actually and, and I'm serious with this one. I feel like because of Hateful Eight, there was one scene where Daisy Domergue sang about Jim Jones at Botany Bay, about a pirate. I think a swashbuckler pirate film would be a great, great addition to his movie list. Cause like, cause you know, he, he's talked about like swashbuckler movies from like the thirties and forties. And like, you know, obviously loves old Hollywood. And like, I don't know, like when I heard that song, when I watched the movie, I'm like, you know what? I can dig a pirate movie made by Quentin Tarantino. Like, because we already have mm-hmm. like the most popular one, Pirates of the Caribbean, amazing series, but like, it's definitely Disney fied or it's definitely like, you know, um, gentle with pirates in an extent, but like with Tarantino, 
I could see him being really just going all at it, like Kill Bill kind of style violence with like the um, swords and the pistols, maybe a couple sharks or something or I don't know, something wild. Like I, I want something wild with with this movie. And I feel like because um, I was looking up stuff like online, like, oh, what are potential movies he's going to do kind of thing? And like I never saw the pirate one and I really want a pirate one. <laughs> Uh, the movie that I would go with, uh, I don't believe Tarantino has any science fiction movies. I'm right there and, with you, Drake. I know where you're going. <laughs> but do you know where I'm going to go with this? I think there should be a time travel movie because Ooh. Tarantino does great with nonlinear storytelling. And we could have a nonlinear time travel Ooh. story. And then all the all the little Easter eggs and everything comes together in the end. It's not to the final scene where you're like, oh, oh, whoa, the oh, whoa, the implications, you know. <laughs> that, so, like a looper. I think that would be really cool. I, like, I, I think science fiction is sort of the final frontier for him, and it does sort of put a bow tie on everything. Mm-hmm. Can Can I say something real quick? Yeah. yeah. It's funny that you described it as a final frontier because Quentin Tarantino actually did write a Star Trek movie. That's right. Did he really? uh, yeah, and he was in talks with Paramount, uh, but Paramount did not pick it up. See, I feel like if he did a Star Trek movie, I think it would be the '60s crew more than anyone else. I think he would like try to be. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, he would keep it. Yeah, that phony. style. And like campy as much as possible, but so yeah. brutal and violent. Like I feel like that's like he wouldn't do like a you know like a J.J. Abrams Star Trek or you know Next Generation Star Trek. I feel he would do the OG crew, you know, Kirk, Spock, like you, you name it, like all the original people, and like the bright colored shirts and like the goopy looking aliens, like green women, all of it. <laughs> Um, Star Trek also did an episode where they went to Earth in the 1920s as a gangster movie. I also feel like Tarantino can do like a 1920s, 30s, like mob movie. Like I can see because he's already been familiar with like crime movies, but like they're all set in modern day. But like give him like a Muggsy character, give him like, you know, like a Don or something. Like, I don't know. I feel like they'd be kind of like a like a nice little callback to his earlier years with like, you know, a lot of his crime films, but like it do it in a way where like the classic, like pinstripe suits and, you know, cigar in the mouth, yeah. and just like a little Tommy gun or something like pu- that like, was actually going to be one of my guesses too, was oh, a callback to the big, be- yeah. Like a callback to sort of what inspired him to begin with, you know, yeah. and saying forties and fifties films, which were inspired by, you know, twenties and thirties films. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could totally see something like that. Um, I also think that, like, um, w- with this, like, I I mean, personally, I think he does Westerns very well for the most part. And yeah. the like the selfish part of me would love to see another Western. But as for, like the collective fans of his movies, I do as much as I would love to see him in another Western, I don't want him as well to do that. Cause I want him to do something new. I want him to do something different. And, you know, like once my time on a highway atmospheric and, um, hateful is more like a 
play than a movie really and like you know he, he like tackles these mediums and makes them into movies and like i want him to just try something new and like you know obviously he does every single time but like doggone it i would love to see another western <laughs> the other the other thing is like an actual mystery like a legit mystery not like what we got with hateful eight under um, the floorboards <laughs> yeah like an actual like you sort of murder on the orient express kind of thing because Ooh. the thing that i like most about quentin tarantino's work is not the violence and and, and the, the funky music and all that stuff it's mm-hmm. actually how well he executes dialogue scenes. Oh, it's phenomenal. And is able to make dialogue scenes just as interesting and tense and as exciting as an action scene. Because mm-hmm. he relies on great actors, great writing, and he has fantastic beats, fantastic long takes where we're on a single character for a long time that's delivering a great monologue and there's a lot of tension building. I mean, some of just the greatest, you know. Yeah. Dialogue scenes come to mind, like Christoph Waltz in the very beginning of *Inglorious Bastards*, oh talking like about getting a glass of milk. Yeah, and and then you have uh, you know Bill with the bride at the very end talking. I mean, his talking scenes are all fast. *Inglorious Bastards*, where they're playing cards at the table. Oh my gosh! Um, I, and things I saw start getting scene. tense. Oh my god! It still thrills me. And like, I'll mention one more. And like. I know I'm such a huge fanboy for Hateful Eight. I know <laughs> the number one fan going on here. Um, the most satisfying part in that movie was Major Marcus Mark Marcus West, like detective work, having the three suspects on the wall and saying, "Here's what I think. I was able to dissect your plan. You were the one who poisoned the coffee." You were the one who helped. You killed all these people. Like he's literally mm-hmm. picking every part of that plan that went wrong. And that's another thing. There's always a plan that goes wrong in these movies. <laughs> and like to me, having Samuel Jackson in that dialogue, although not as great as the Pulp Fiction monologue, I feel like that monologue was easily the best part of Hateful Eight. And like I can watch that part like over and over again because like <laughs> you just hear chris mannix like laughing in the background and it's like oh man you he got you good <laughs> like just like his reactions I, I don't know just like that stuff's more satisfying to me than the actual violence of these movies and like if you were able to do that that is just great movie making right there like i i, I have yet to see someone who makes such like like engaging dialogue as good as his you know, mm-hmm. so so as of right now, we have rom com. No, <laughs> um, <laughs> we have pirate sweat slash swashbuckler. We have sci fi. We have mob movie. Is there any other like genres that'd be interesting for him to tackle kind of thing? Or do we think like something small, like more quaint, really? I feel like it'll be something new, but something familiar at the same time. I sure hope so. I, I sure hope it's like a nice wrapped bow at the end of the movie. Just like, yeah. just like a nice send off really, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Here's, here's one. You are given a chance to be the casting director of this movie. If you can bring any actor 
any actor in this last movie, and it could be someone that's reoccurring or someone completely unexpected, who would you put in this last movie? And you don't have to worry about like their character or whatever. You can just say like they're the hero or the villain or just like a side character or something. Like who would be that one actor you would love to see in his last movie? Samuel L. Jackson, final answer. I like that. <laughs> that that's a good pick, Chris. I don't think he's in any of his movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I he he was saying any actor who's been in it before. If if the mm-hmm. question is an actor who's not already in it, that's a different question. But if we're talking, okay, I might as well go with pick. both. I guess, like, I, I might yeah. as well just answer both then. Samuel Jackson, and then I would say someone relatively new or obscure mm-hmm. would be good. Like a uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Dwayne, let's get Dwayne in there. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, like it would be tooth fairy rock. <laughs> yeah. It would be interesting where they, you know, like where he sort of has this way of being able to, like, I wouldn't have expected Brad Pitt to agree to be in his movies, but Brad oh, Pitt is now, a, a, he's done a couple of them, two of them now, right? Yeah. I yeah. Think. And he's also yeah. in True Romance, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I, someone who is sort of well known, but not what you would, you would peg to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah. For some reason, Tom Holland comes to mind. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Like, I, I w- it's sort of a, a strange pick, but also he has range why, why, to do something different. Yeah. And why don't we just uh, throw in Chris Pratt? If, uh, <laughs> just just make it a cast of the uh, the, the, the guys that are in every Hollywood movie yeah. in the last couple oh of years. I, yeah. <laughs> I love I love how everyone's just digging at Chris Pratt just because of like the Mario movie and the Garfield movie. It's like, okay, I might as well have him in every single movie ever made because why not? <laughs> what about you, Drake? But who would you who would you pick the the reoccurring one and the yet to be in one? I'm still thinking on the yet to be in one. Can we take a quick one minute intermission? Yes, I can. Okay. I can. Need to think. I guess I can go with mine um, if that'll yeah, give you time yeah, to think. Um, for reoccurring, I will say the most successful child actor in Hollywood to ever be, and still working to this day, Kurt Russell. I absolutely love Kurt Russell in practically most movie season, and especially in Tarantino movies. And he's got that like classic cool Hollywood vibe, but also a little bit of grit to him. I, I, I've always like had it. Like I've always loved his movies. My first film was with overboard with the, with uh, Goldie Hawn. Like I just, I just think he's a great actor and like him and the thing. And then of course in hateful eight and once upon a time in Hollywood, death proof, like the guy just does really well with Tarantino. And I, whether that's just a narrating role or, you know, an acting role, I would love for, um Kurt Russell to be in his last movie as for the new actor in a Tarantino movie um I I want someone that is like known to be in like other movies for instance and you you guys are gonna laugh at my pick but I I have a I have a good feeling about this (laughs) 
Danny DeVito. I want Danny DeVito to be in a Tarantino <laughs> movie. I, I don't see a problem with that. I think like like, but the thing is though, he can't. I want him to have like so much like makeup on, like to the point of like Mike Myers being in Glorious Bastards. I want him mm-hmm. to look unrecognizable, but I mm-hmm. want him to be like because I know the guy has range. Like I know people joke about him with being in. Um, uh, Always sunny in Philadelphia with being Frank Reynolds and Trash Man and stuff. Like, yes, I love I love that side of him. But like the man has done some great work, especially in LA Confidential. Get him into a mob movie. Oh man, you were gonna see some magic with that. And funny enough, he was actually executive producer for Pulp Fiction. So he's already kind of had like sort of ties with Tarantino, but like very loose though. But I feel like Danny DeVito would be an actual like decent choice for like a you know a non-reoccurring actor i kind of feel yeah i in a similar vein i would actually say billy crystal could be interesting Ooh, billy crystal classic comedian from the 90s comes back for a quentin tarantino movie in a random role (laughs) i mean i i could see it i i i dig it i i would i would genuinely with with heavy makeup too because i because i think that would be Make them or it doesn't have to be like huge makeup either. It could literally be like the Rick Dalton putting on a mustache and like hippie hair. (laughs) Just like make him just like completely not himself. And I would be very happy. (laughs) Uh, So the actor that has already been in a Tarantino movie that I would like to see in another is actually John Travolta uh, because <laughs> you need to give him a Tarantino saved Tarantino saved his career once. Yeah, let's see him do it twice. Work I think it's going to be even harder this time because he's like seventy now. He's bald. Oh my god, uh, he's seventy. He he, he, he I, he's got to be. I mean, no when Grease come out. I, I, Grease came out in the seventies. That's what uh, forty years ago. Yeah, no, almost fifty. Well. Scotty forty five. Oh my gosh, I think you're right. I don't think it was a teenager when that was made. Oh, he's sixty seven, but still, oh my gosh, yeah, sixty seven. He's so. Oh, there's this photo of him. It does not like give him. No, <laughs> he's no, really he, great. He, he, he's uh, he's not uh, he's not looking good. No. Oh, uh, oh, I'm so sorry. I had another great idea of a character. I'm sorry. Oh, go for yeah, it. go ahead. You just—it got me thinking about older '90s actors and stuff. Michael Keaton, he's already been in one. Dude, I've. Oh yeah, he was in Jackie Brown. Yeah, but that's funny. I I was also. I I was thinking that too. Michael Keaton. Yeah. Gosh, man. Uh, Okay. Wow, that was weird. (laughs) But I have two other actors in mind. Uh, different sides, different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. All right. Uh, one end we have. Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, mm, three-time yeah, Oscar yeah. winner. Tarantino's never won Best Picture. I don't think he's won <laughs> yeah. Best Director either. I think his missing piece <laughs> might just be Daniel the Day Oscar Lewis. darling himself, Daniel Day-Lewis. On the other end of the spectrum, it's the same logic with John Travolta. I want to I see him bring back Brendan Fraser. Thank you. Oh. Thank yeah. you. We need that's a, more let's Brendan a, Fraser. Let's have a movie with Travolta and Brendan Fraser, <laughs> and somehow it's still going to gross half a billion dollars. That's a good pick. 
Brandon Fraser in The Mummy is one of the most enjoyable performances. That's just, I go back to that movie every few years or so, and he is such a delight in it. He's literally like my favorite part in those movies. And like, the dude is just like humble as can be. And like, I, I don't like like putting actors and like anybody really like on a pedestal like that. But like, I feel like he's one of those people where you can be like, like he's a decent guy. Like you, you can literally like go you know, like grab lunch or something or get some coffee with him and just enjoy a couple hours with him. Like just talking and just being, you know, normal. And like, I, I don't know, like, I would love to see more stuff for him because he was in Doom Patrol and he's in the new uh, Batwoman movie coming out or something like that. And like, uh, sorry, Batgirl. Um, but like, we need more Brendan Fraser. Just yeah, that that's a great pick, Drake. Um, I'd also I, like to see Olivia Wilde and or Regina King. Yes, yes. Regina King has been one of my favorite new. She's not really new because she's been around the no. scene for a while. But like, <laughs> yeah, you know, but. As of lately for theatrical movies, she's getting a lot more and more now. And I loved her work in Watchmen, but like, um, but yeah, I just, yeah, get her on the scene. She's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also what, say. And what's your argument for Olivia Wilde? Oh, we I think know Olivia Wilde's got way more. Well, I love Olivia Wilde, uh, <laughs> but Olivia Wilde also, I think, has way more range um, than she's given credit for. And I could see her totally stepping out of like the traditional role and be very Quentin Tarantino eyes. If, if yeah. she had a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also have two picks for actresses as well. Cause um, I also thought like another great pick for a role to be in the last movie. Bring back Uma Thurman. I think yeah. Uma Thurman yeah, that's is a good one. fantastic. Like, like I said, my favorite performance for her is still the bride. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good catch. Um, they, yep. Uh, just, I would love, I, I know they had like a little stint like after the Kill Bill movies were made, but things had been, you know, repaid and, you know, they're in good graces now kind of thing. And I just, I would love for her to be back one more time, you know, and I just, I, I just, I just want her back. <laughs> um, as for um, the non-reoccurring, um, I know Drake, you mentioned this earlier about bringing back like the popular actors from, you know, the most recent movies ever, but, uh, Zazie beats, uh, the girl from Deadpool two. I would love for her to be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I feel like she fit right in and she's kind of like obscure. Like she's not really super popular either, but I feel like she has pretty good range and can pretty much like fit into any kind of movie. And, you know, I've always enjoyed the movies that she's in, and I don't know. I just feel like she'd be pretty yeah. good in that mo- in a Tarantino movie. Yeah, and I, she's definitely on the rise with uh, Deadpool Two, Joker, Atlanta. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think she would be great. I also strongly agree with Regina King. Yeah, uh, fantastic Regina, for actress. Sure. Yeah. I think she would kill it yeah. in a Tarantino movie. She would. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Now, now I gotta start thinking again. <laughs> <laughs> we picked all the good ones. No I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I don't. Yeah, I agree that I would like to see Uma Thurman again. Um, 
I'd like to also see Lucy Liu in another yeah. Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, she was movie. great. Yeah. Uh, as for new actresses, uh, maybe I don't. I, let's get a little. I don't know. A twenty four vibe in here. Brina and Saoirse Ronan. Ooh, yeah. Good answer. Yeah, that's I not like bad. That. I can yeah. see that. Sweet. <laughs> I don't know what she would do. Yeah, but. that's the thing. We have no idea who these actors and actresses would be, but we just have a general vibe that like, hey, use them instead of Chris Pratt, please. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, for instance, he's done making this final movie. And like the Oscars do with pity, they give him the Oscar for best director and best picture because oops, sorry, we didn't give you those other times where you deserved Academy. It's going to happen. Um, I, I feel like he can like start into other mediums and I, I'll say this cause like I just got this recently, but um, Tarantino is a great writer and I recently um, have been reading uh, his once upon a time in Hollywood novel. And after I'm about three-fourths, halfway or three-fourths done with the book. And I think it's better than the movie. And I actually think he has a potential great future for writing novels. And I was wondering what your guys' thoughts were. Like, where do you think Tarantino might be best set if he continues to do more work? Like, where would you want to see him, like, kind of test the grounds with? And, like, like, what's your guys' thoughts? Uh, TikTok. Okay, Drake, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd like to see him on Twitch. <laughs> Stream. Okay, well, that's yeah, all I, time I, we have. I, I just like to see how Tarantino does in Fortnite. Yeah. <laughs> all his characters are Fortnite-like characters. Like, it's the bride as the new Fortnite. It's like, oh, jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I, Brandon, honestly, I think you already... You said it. I think writing and then maybe play stuff is probably where he's gonna. I I think he's gonna make TV shows. I would love that. Yeah. I would love that. I, mean, I think TV shows are probably more work than movies, though. So that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. Well, also, yeah, but I don't think I I don't think he would direct the TV shows. Though I think I could see him as like head writer and executive producer. Um, Sort of like a but, Ridley Scott with uh, Raised by Wolves on HBO. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or David Fincher with Mindhunter. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I was gonna say with TV shows is like he uh, there was a hardcover edition of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that was released uh, as of recording date like last week, and it had some like extra things in it. And Tarantino actually made it in the movie and book. You know, Rick Dalton and. Uh, um, Cliff Booth, they do stuff for the show Bounty Law from the 50s. And he actually wrote like, I think like two or three episodes and the scripts are in the hardcover edition of the book. And uh, I have yet to read it, but like, I just think that's fascinating that like he just like was so excited to do something like that, that he already like wrote the scripts in this world that he created and he just did it for just because. And 
seeing that right there, Drake, I do think he is going to like tackle some like mini series stuff and like, you know, or maybe, you know, regular occurring TV show or something like that. And I, I, the thing is though, at that, I have no idea what he's going to do. <laughs> it's like with Seth MacFarlane trying to do the uh, Flintstones show back uh, a few years ago that never got made, but like, he's always mm-hmm. wanted to do something like that. And it's like, wow, that's interesting. I want to see how that's going to be like, you know? And I, I don't know where he's going to go, but I definitely wish him the best. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but well, the other thing is he just became a father too. And that too. I, I yeah. Parenthood is going to change things a bit. Yeah. And, and I still think this last film of his won't, and I'm not just saying it's because of the pandemic, but I'm saying it's because of him being a dad. This film won't be made for quite some time. I'm, I'm guessing like five years from now. I think it's like when it's going to be made. Cause it's going to take time and he's trying to balance out like work, family life, his wife. And so, it's just so much he's going to like already got involved with. So it's just kind of like, don't rush it. <laughs> please don't rush it. <laughs> like take care of yourself, please. Um, but it, it, there's also another medium where he's kind of been involved with. So I earlier I mentioned that he's been in a podcast. Uh, he's actually been in quite a few and you know obviously he's been interviewing him from home or he's going to his studio to do it um he helps finance and run this theater in los angeles called the beverly cinema and the beverly cinema has a uh, website where he shows like reviews for movies he's done he runs movies that he has the rights to uh, to play at the cinema like i think like this week like like he does like grindhouse kind of movies, but also like something really random for like kids and stuff like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from like the early 90s. And uh, just like he just does stuff like that. But the Beverly Cinema has a podcast where these two guys like talk about like movies and stuff. And Quentin has joined like seven or eight times. And it's just like, honestly, it's really fun to hear his thoughts about like certain things that, you know, you wouldn't know otherwise if you, unless you, like you talked to him or interviewed him kind of thing, but this is a more, you know, informal setting. And like, you can just like chill out and like hear him geek out about like, like I said earlier, like the forties and fifties public domain films. Like, you know, the, the guy just, I don't know. He's just really fun to listen to. So I feel like he can also go into like podcasts or like audio stories or something like that like a short story miniseries that's like done through audio only or something like i could see him easily doing that too because you know all he has to do is write it and then he has to assemble a crew to like you know mix and edit and you know perform it too so i could see him doing that as well (laughs) as our last subject for this going off tarantino we gotta tell our favorites as usual. Um, and first off, we'll, we'll just start with something sim- simple here. What's your guys' favorite written or acted character in a Tarantino movie? If you had to just like pick one or two, which, what, what's some of your favorite characters in a Tarantino movie? Uh, Christoph Waltz is character in Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah, uh, it's just a magnificent performance. He chews up every scene that he's in. The writing is fantastic. Uh, I can't get enough of that scene where he's 
uh, pretty much taunting Brad Pitt's crew in the uh, movie theater because it's so obvious that, that they're not Italian, <laughs> and he's just he's just mocking them <laughs> without like you know fully mocking them, still playing the game, you know. Yeah, uh, love him, love that guy. <laughs> um, you you could quote me here. I love that Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> You heard it first there. Go get them, See, Twitter. This is our first explicit <laughs> moment. <laughs> yep. Um, oh, my gosh. There's so many, honestly. Yeah. It's uh, very that, hard to choose. It's very hard. I, I also want to say a character I have yet to mention yet, which I think is on par with his other role. But I love Steven from Django Unchained. I think he's one of the best villains in a Tarantino movie. Like, obviously, Hans Landa, you know, Christoph Waltz's character. Candy? Was, no, not Candy. No. Steven, his um, his slave. Oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes. Okay. Steven is one of the best, like, villains. And, like, you, you would think that Calvin Candy would be the main villain. And to the, to the point... Yes, but he's really controlled by Steven in a way. Like the way he brings him in to that library lounge area and just tell him like, you know, they're here to buy off Broomhilda. Like you understand that, right? Like, like he literally is sitting down on a chair, legs crossed. He has a glass of brandy swirling in his hands. Even though Calvin Candy is standing, Steven is controlling the situation like he like Samuel L. Jackson did with Jules, he is controlling him and tells him like, hey, they are screwing you over and here's why. And just like you understand from the moment that Steven saw Django, he was completely filled with hate because of the fact that Django is a free man and Steven worked decades to be where he's at on that plantation and he is at that moment, the moment he sees Django riding on a horse, which is, you know, completely just insane to him. And he's like, oh, I do not like you. I'm going to make your life a hell kind of thing. And this is like just the way he's written. And like when he has a one on one with Django, like he never blinks in that entire scene. It is so haunting. And it's like, oh, you're giving me the chill. <laughs> like. But I, I, I feel like he's one of my favorite written characters because you also understand him, and but you also hate him too. <laughs> uh, but there's honestly so many others too. Like once again, I love The Bride, but like if I had to pick probably Steven because just that fact of him being the hidden villain of that movie and it was just done so well. <laughs> yeah, I got to say Samuel Jackson as Jules in Pulp Fiction. Oh, classic. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, he just he made that film, um, in my opinion. Um, and it's it's so weird that, that, that I'm, you know, I've been racking my brain thinking of all these different performances. And it's crazy to think that, oh, yeah, Jamie Foxx was in Django. And yeah, Bruce Willis was in Pulp Fiction, like all these other amazing actors. I keep forgetting that Bruce Willis was in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> like, it's yeah. just so like, wait, why are you in here? And they're like. Christopher yeah. Walken was in Pulp Fiction, like and yep. De- um, uh, was it Dakota Fanning in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Like just 
I think what, so. Yeah. Once again, was like she? actors. Yeah. yeah, she was uh, George. Wait, hold on. Who was she? She was, she uh, was uh, the redhead girl that was um, taking care of George on the ranch. Oh, really? Yeah. Like she huh. looks unrecognizable, and she's like sitting in that mm-hmm. lounge chair with her bare feet. There you go again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I I do want to go back real quick uh, to Jamie Fox. That role was initially offered to Will Smith. Wow. Who turned it down. That would have been bad. Do, I'm sorry. That would have been bad. He turned it down to do After Earth. <laughs> oh. Oh yikes. <laughs> Oh, well, can't have them all. Yeah. Help make the tension. Yeah, my gosh, that is awful. (laughs) My second character would would have to be uh, David Carradine as Bill in Kill Bill. Yeah. He, you know, only briefly shows up in the first one, and then you know he he doesn't he's not really heavily in the second one either. He's really just but, at the last hour mark, really. Like, but every scene he's in, he just just commands the attention. Um, mm-hmm. His his lines are just delivered so well and so deliberately, and he goes from he's he's able to be this character that you almost like, but you're not supposed to, sort of thing. Yeah, which is I'm, a lot of Quentin Tarantino characters. Yeah. And on the same top of uh, same subject of that, another character that I despise, but also can't help to love, is Chris Mannix from Hateful Eight. That guy, yeah. like yeah. Walton Goggins, is a joy. Like I, I yep. think he's a great actor, and he sells it as Chris. Like just, <laughs> just the part where. Um, He's talking to uh, Kurt Russell and he's like, wait, you mean he had a letter from Abraham Lincoln, the president of America, <laughs> like, wrote you a letter personally, personally as in Dear Major Bourne? No, no, no. Dear Marquez, Dear Marquez, <laughs> like, oh, my Lord, look at that. <laughs> you all were practically pen pals and a mm-hmm. pen pal is practically a friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just like busts out laughing. <laughs> and then like my favorite part. <laughs> and you just see Kurt Russell being like, was all that horse shit? <laughs> and you just see Samuel Jackson like, of course it was. <laughs> <laughs> just, I don't know. Just like Chris is just like such a yes. likable character. I This character is an awful person being a confederate, but just like, he is just so likable. And that's just what Walton did. Yeah. And I just, Chris, like, um, Quentin Tarantino just did something with that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how, how did you do that? How did you do that? I, I still don't understand. My special mention has also got to be Samuel Jackson in Jackie Brown. And not just because he had a glorious ponytail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but because I think he really drive you know sort of similar to bill he sort of commanded every scene he was in and um, oh yeah it was very interesting and then i would also special mention which seems funny to to say uh leonardo dicaprio is uh rick dalton in, oh my uh, gosh once yes. upon a time. yeah i uh, just seem like because you know but he's most, sitting what, there with the young actress and they're like looking at the like books together and like talking with each other that's a great scene oh yeah and 
like I love just like in most movies that Leonardo DiCaprio's in, he is he commands the scene. He is so confident in his roles. And you just see him become a nervous wreck and so vulnerable. It's like, oh my gosh, how did you get so low? It's like, how did you do that? Um I'm sorry, I got, I got to mention one more character I love. I, I know, I keep, just, there's so many good characters. We're just going to mention the whole cast of every single movie. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. yep, and that concludes our list of the actor <laughs> we, we think is the best. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love Cliff Booth. I, I think yeah, I know. he is just, I mean, and like, in the, in the book, you learn more about him and like why he does the way he Brad does things. Brad character. Yeah, and yes, thank you. Um, and just like Brad Pitt, that, honestly, that's like his best performance in my opinion. I, I, he deserved that Oscar easily. But like that, like you just see like the essence of cool in him. But like he also does kind of questionable things too. And you know, like he's not all you know, shining you know, golden boy. Like he looked at that you know Manson family girl for a little bit. He doesn't do anything. But like you're just thinking like. You're getting a little close there, buddy. <laughs> like, you know, taking her for a car ride and stuff. It's like, oh, that's a little questionable. But like, for the most part, like he's just like, he's the most reliable person you can depend on. And it's like, you know, you can trust Cliff Booth, but also he's got a bit of a dark side. You know, we don't know what he did to his wife. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what happened in that ocean. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, he just writes characters that aren't like completely black and white. They're all like lighter gray or darker gray. Everyone has like blotch of something red on their mark on their history kind of thing. And I don't know. He just does it really well. <laughs> um, so obviously we talked about our favorite actor for each, <laughs> for each of us. Um, what, what would you guys say is your favorite like setting that has been in a movie? So like, you know, like location or like cast ensemble, just like, like, what was your favorite, like, atmosphere or, like, mood of the movie, really? Uh, I would have to say um, just the, uh, the the bar scene in Inglorious Bastards. Oh, my gosh. That basement bar. Yeah. Oh, it's, I don't know. It, it just, for some reason, it reminds me of Medal of Honor on the GameCube. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. know what about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just love it. That was a great scene. Um, I love, um, I, I think the setting of Kill Bill might be my favorite. I, I To me, because like it's, it feels like it's, um, it feels like modern day, but like it also feels like an old spaghetti western and like you know it's yeah. got she travels all around the world to find bill and i remember there was one scene in the movie that still gets me is when she talks to esteban and uh, yeah that's um, a great scene too and I, I don't know what i forget what country she was in but like um just like that five minute scene like her her and his dial like he is so relaxed but also terrifying and like she also commands the scene too that's the thing and like i i love just like you know 
how they go to Bud's ranch kind of thing. And like, just there's so many great moments in that movie overall as uh, movies. Uh, it's so confusing sometimes because sometimes people are like, Oh, it's one movie. Like he, like Tarantino said, but there's two movies kind of thing. I just call it one movie, honestly, just to make it easier. Mm-hmm. But like, there's just so many settings in the movie. I just think it's fun. The ensemble cast is great. And yeah, I, I think that might be my, like my favorite, like, like ensemble overall really i would agree yeah (laughs) ditto (laughs) (laughs) all right um one more before we list off our favorite uh rankings here but what would you guys say is the funniest moment in all of his movies like the the one that always makes you just bust a gut laughing kind of like scene Bonjourno. Yeah. <laughs> Gets me every time. Mm-hmm. I I think I know where you're going with this. I mean, I, one of the funniest scenes is is a scene that you're you're laughing at and you're like, I don't think I should be laughing at this. Like this is funny, but I, it's so terrible at the same time and it's like these are bad people. Uh is in Django Unchained, the whole hood thing the what the sack (laughs) yeah the the sack hoods it was one of the most uncomfortable moments i've ever had in a movie theater where i'm sitting there and everybody else was clearly having the same moral conundrum i was having sitting there like oh these are terrible people but this is an objectively hilarious (laughs) situation of them complaining about not being able to see out of their hoods I think the best part was that all these hoods were made by one person's wife and they're all yeah. like, y'all can criticize. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely hysterical. And it, it is. And, and it's it, what's funny is how it's not supposed to be funny. That sort I of know. contributes it's to the laughter. And I completely <laughs> remember in the theater, <laughs> I was with Kyle at the time, my brother, and we were both like uh, looking at each other and I could tell other people were looking at each other. And then the first couple people let out chuckles. And then before long, the entire theater is is laughing. It's it's like with it. it's like the movie is saying, like, it's OK for this one moment. Yeah, y'all can laugh like it. It's fine. We're aware that these people are horrible. We're aware that these people are just like the worst but y'all can laugh at them. It's it's fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I mean, at some parts of this scene, it's not funny, but I always just laugh at it. The Jules uh, scene with um, the Ezekiel moment, like I laugh at just like, it, it's so iconic. It's just like, how you kids doing? It's <laughs> like, and just tell them like, now this is a tasty burger. <laughs> and it's like, mm-hmm. and it's like I don't think I'm ever asking you a damn thing. <laughs> and just like him commanding over these like dumb twenty year olds just in the apartment, yeah. and it's like, you know what, Vincent? I think this was divine intervention. <laughs> like I don't know why, just like the whole entire monologue scene. It's just so funny. Like I just. I don't know why. Like I, I always have a smile while I watch that scene. It just makes me laugh. <laughs> but like, I mean, overall, he's every movie. I think. I mean, even yeah, even Reservoir Dogs has that moment. Really, like, there's always one like comedic 
bit that you just can't stop thinking about. You know, every movie had it. And I don't know. I just I think that's really like a gift when you're able to do that kind of thing. And because not all movies can do that. And but somehow he was able to do it. <laughs> um, so as our last and final topic, we have our rankings. Now, that being said, none of these movies are bad. I, I think we can all agree that like every movie, I mean, I can say also about Death Proof, like I can, because I saw the movie recently. Um, I could say that all these movies are objectively great, great or good. And, you know, but I, I feel like we still have to rank them. And I feel like for consistency sake, uh, do you guys want to split up Kill Bill or do you want to keep it as one? I, I just want to make sure that like uh, we, we are, we're not confused here. I, I, I think Tarantino, uh, he classifies it as one movie. Mm-hmm. So, OK, I would just combine them. All right. So we are going to uh, make sure that um, Kill Bill volumes one and two is considered one movie like Tarantino said. All right. So um, do you guys have your picks or do you want me to go first? Because I already have mine listed off. <laughs> you go ahead and go first. All righty then. So. Um, uh, OK, so here here's my uh, it. it Chris has heard my list before, but a few things have changed to it. So as a, but the thing is like, I feel like my list like is always changing. Like it's never like the same except for really one movie. But, um, so as of right now, here are my from least to best favorite Tarantino movies coming in at number nine, death proof. Um, I feel like that's going to be everyone's least favorite, but I don't know. Some yeah, you can just, yeah, you can just, yeah, that, that's definitely going to be mine. Yeah. Still enjoyable. Um, as of right now, this recording, it's just still available on YouTube. It. Yeah. Um, it's more of a homage to the slasher grindhouse pick. Uh, it's very much its own thing. And sometimes I forget to Tarantino movie when I watch it, but also at the same time, Stuntman Mike is definitely a Tarantino character, and the ending in the movie is actually really satisfying. <laughs> um, okay, so that's number nine. Number eight, I'm sorry, Drake, Reservoir Dogs. Uh, <laughs> um, coming in and number seven, Jackie Brown. Coming in at number six, Pulp Fiction. Coming in at number five, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Coming in at number four, Django Unchained. Coming in at number three, The Hateful Eight. Coming in at number two, Kill Bill. And coming in at number one, Inglorious Bastards. So the more and more I think about the Kill Bill movie, the more I just love it. I, I, I don't know what it is. I just think that movie is just so doggone enjoyable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, that is like my listing of it. Um, obviously I have a soft spot for his Westerns, as y'all can tell. And I'm probably one of the few people that has uh hateful eight that high up. Um, I still enjoy it very much. Um, but yeah, I, I, I just enjoy glorious bastards the most. And I feel like 
anybody can, even if you don't like Tarantino, you can still like this movie. Like it still has that like cinematic masterpiece to it that still has yet to be toppled in my opinion. But, uh, but yeah, that is, that's my rankings as of now, but probably subject to change in the next, like, you know, six months or so. (laughs) Uh, so for my rankings, I'm going to put in last place, once upon a time in Hollywood. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I've, I've already discussed Makes that. Sense. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think, uh, you could cut a good hour of this movie and not much changes in my opinion. So, uh, number eight, I'm going to go with hateful eight, uh, classic hateful eight at number eight. So, uh, seven, uh, Jackie Brown for number seven, number six, I haven't seen Death Proof, so I replaced Death Proof with True Romance. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so I put True Romance at number six. All right. Uh, number five, Jingo Unchained. Number four, Reservoir Dogs. Number three, Kill Bill. Two, Pulp Fiction. And one, like Brandon, Inglorious Bastards. Classic. <laughs> uh, a- yeah, I... I think that's a good list. I, mm-hmm. I I like the the variety. Eight for hateful eight. Eight for hateful uh, eight. Everyone has it at number eight because they think there's the, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> the the thing is, is I imagine between the three of us, our top threes are going to look very very similar, mm-hmm. uh, with only slight variation. I think the biggest changes are going to be um, from the other rankings. Yeah, I, I like um, the bottom parts. That's definitely probably the most different. Yeah. Answer. I would put Death Proof at last just because I haven't seen it, so it almost feels like a no contest kind of thing. Reservoir Dogs, seven. Hold on, hold on. Death Proof, nine. Nine, yes, thank you. Oh, Reservoir oh Dogs, God. eight. <laughs> I would put Hateful Eight at seven. Once Upon a Time at six. Jackie Brown at five. Pulp Fiction at four. And then I would put uh, Django at three, and then Inglorious at two, and then Kill Bill at one. Ah. Mm-hmm. There you go. But I go back and <laughs> forth between Inglorious and Kill Bill constantly. I think that's pretty much consensus of like most people' mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. opinion on Tarantino movies. But it really is that great. <laughs> like, yeah. if you can if you can gain anything from this like two hour plus episode, is that. Inglorious Bastards is such an amazing movie. Please go see it. <laughs> like, um, it has. Um, at the time, I didn't realize how much this actor would, you know, do more amazing things. It wasn't his first role, obviously, but I feel like Michael Fassbender. That was like his breakout role, in my opinion. Like he was in like Three Hundred, but he was literally just like a practically an extra at that movie but like mm-hmm. you know this was like the first movie i saw from him and i'm like this guy has acting chops i could see him gosh, doing some pretty good fassbender would be yeah. a good returning character oh my gosh yeah. i i i would also put daniel Bruhl yes. on that list oh my gosh yeah and um yeah there's so many great character like actors in that movie too like a, a classic hollywood actor that was in the movie um I remember this because I saw this movie as a kid, but the guy who plays Churchill, his name is Rod Taylor. And he was from the movie The Time Machine back in 1960. And, you know, 
very much like a macho bravo kind of like british actor from like the golden era kind of thing but like you know it was just such a surprise when i saw *Inglorious bastards and i saw rod taylor's churchill i'm like you're alive (laughs) he just sits there smoking (laughs) that's all he does he's like breathing that's literally the only thing he says and just like mike myers like just like steals the show but like i was so surprised when i saw taylor in there and i'm like Man, who else is hiding in this movie? Then you had um, Diane Kruger from the National Treasure movies in there. And like you had um, Daryl Hannah. Wait, who is she she in it? Oh, I'm talking about Kill Bill. I thought we were just talking about characters in general. Oh, 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 no, Uh, Daryl Hannah. Yeah, she was great in Kill Bill, too. Like, you know. But both both movies, I think that's what I said earlier was both movies. I didn't say just like, real quick. Uh, the Bear Jew, who was played by Eli Roth, was originally written for Adam Sandler. Holy cow. That would no. have been. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how to feel about that. I, that's like the Will Smith. thing. It's I, like, I don't know if that would go well. Like, okay. I know he's done dramatic roles. I changed my like, answer. Get rid of Brendan Fraser. I want to see Adam Sandler in the Tarantino movie. <laughs> After Uncut I Gems? He, yeah, he's going to bring Uncut Gems energy. And he's good in Punch Drunk Love, too. And it's like, if you give him a good script and good director, Sandler could be good. But I just... I, I, I don't know. I just... I never thought that he would be written for that. Like, I always thought it was for Eli Roth because, you know, they were friends and stuff. So, like... Uh, sorry, Quinn and Eli Roth were friends. Um, but, yeah, that's so... I, Speaking of Eli Roth, you guys, like, there was also one element of Tarantino movies that I forgot to mention. So I don't know if it's included with the YouTube version of Death Proof, but uh, Grindhouse had these fake trailers uh, made in between each movie. And they're all written by different directors. So, like, Eli Roth did a slasher movie called Thanksgiving. Um, You had uh, Edgar Wright make direct a movie called don't you had uh machete you know with uh um from robert rodriguez um and there was like one other, like those ones were like those trailers were hilarious i think like rob zombie did also like a werewolf one i think um but just like th- those were cool elements uh, too yeah. and didn't they isn't that where uh hobo with a shotgun's trailer yeah that, that's where it first premiered yeah. and then uh, they actually yeah. made it into a movie later kind of like with machete and machete yeah. kills again yeah, yeah. so um mm-hmm. that's also a great movie too machete that, that was just a, but that, i mean i know it's robert rodriguez but like that was just fun too um well robert rodriguez is pretty much quentin tarantino's understudy yeah like all the movies that Chris listed off that were Quentin Tarantino-esque, they were all Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, he's done... I love uh, From Dusk Till Dawn, and I love Planet Terror. You got a machine mm-hmm. gun yeah. leg attached to the... Yeah, Cherry. the girl loses her leg, and they attach a machine <laughs> yeah. gun. It's brilliant. Yeah, and, and, and then the fact that, you know, there's Machete, and yep. uh, uh, so that kind of connects to Spy Kids because of yes, Uncle Machete. that blows my mind. I'm just like... <laughs> no freaking way <laughs> like that guy is the same guy i mean like danny Trejo is a treasure too and like i would love mm-hmm. to see him in a tarantino movie but like um there is no way like when i found that out that they that those movies were connected my mind was just like gone <laughs> it's just like literally anything can happen in this world now 
Um, also, I love Once Upon a Time in Mexico. I, like that was a great movie when that came. It was just, oh, yeah. I mean, looking like looking back at it now, I don't think it really made an impact compared to his other movies. But like that was just a fun movie. I I, I remember Johnny Depp, my parents Antonio and I saw Banderas. That. Yeah, that was just fun. Yeah. Um, but uh, but like those parts of like like the Grindhouse trailers, like those were just fun. So like if you guys watch Death Proof on YouTube later. Look up for the fake trailers for Grindhouse, and man, I, I wish I can go back in time and see that in theaters because I was so not old enough when those came out, and I felt like that probably was like a really great experience, you know, when that premiered. But um, yeah, I, I feel like that's about as much as we can do about geeking about Quentin Tarantino. I think for the past two hours or however long we've been recording, uh, I want to thank you again, uh, Drake, for coming on this pod. We really appreciate you, you know, nerding out with us and uh, definitely just, you know, you're always welcome back yeah. anytime. Yeah. Well, thank you for my third visit. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be done after my 10th. <laughs> okay fair enough fair enough you are he's doing the thing he's doing the thing <laughs> it's all connected it's all connected you you're our samuel l jackson of the podcast yeah <laughs> uh sh- sure sure <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh but thank you but thank you listeners for sticking out with this if you had I, I don't know if you're still here or not, but I don't care. We we had fun here, um, and we hope that you guys will listen to us again in our next episode. Uh, I can't promise a uh, video trailer again, but that was a lot of fun to make for you guys. It was. And uh, as we set up, all I got to say is, River Dirtchy. Happy Thanksgiving. River Dirtchy. Oh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Hey listeners, thank you again for checking out this episode of the Going Off Topic Podcast. For more information, you can check us out on our social media platforms such as Facebook and Instagram. For more episodes, check us out on these platforms such as Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And we want to thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you in the next episode. See you around, listeners. Yes, uh, you down the front. Hold up for a sec. I just wanted to get a quiet spot because I really have to go to the bathroom. Oh, yeah, please. Go for it. Just a quick bathroom break. All right. We'll we'll take a five intermission. Uh, See you cool cats here in a little bit. (laughs) When did you turn into Carol Baskins? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. (sighs) Man. Drake, why do you say that? (laughs) No, thank you. you. You're the one that's saying cool cats. I don't know. I was trying to go with like the um, that radio DJ from Reservoir Dogs. I was just like having that seventies chill hits from the like KJH Radio Los mm-hmm. Angeles. Like I, I, I don't know. I, like I was trying to like get like that cool vibe. I think but... that's uh, I think that's Stephen Wright. Was it Stephen Wright? Yeah. Yep. Hmm. Yep. That's Stephen Wright. Yeah. From the Emoji Movie theme fame. So I forgot he was in that. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna watch Tiger King too. Oh no! I'm might watch, I might watch it. watch it on the background. I I watched Tiger King one when it came out, and like the first like episode was great, but then like once it became less of a documentary and more of a just drama show, I'm like, 
Man, I this is bad. Like <laughs> I really dislike Tiger King. <laughs> oh man, I, I can't even believe they're doing a second one. Like why? Why would you waste money, money to make that? Like money. What do you mean waste fair, money? Fair enough. <laughs> it's yeah. I should have known. That's a money machine. <laughs> it's gonna be a cinematic universe. They are uh Making a movie on Peacock or a TV show on Peacock. That's already uh, a great start. I forget who play. I forget who plays uh, Joe Exotic, but Carol Baskins is going to be played by Kate McKinnon. Oh, oh no! Boy. I know what you're talking about. Nicholas Cage is. Um... No, no. I think that's another adaptation. Oh my! I think are there's you for real? like several adaptations <laughs> in the works. Why? Why? I, never mind. I know. <laughs> oh goodness! 